You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Today we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16. But as we always do, we have to connect this to what came before it, all right? Because this, this letter to an ancient Philippian church is intended to be read all in one sitting. So for it to make sense, we have to see how it all connects when we preach it verse by verse in small sections like this, all right? So if you would be willing, I'm just going to review. Houston preached a great message last week, and we want to review what he shared with us from God's word so that we see how it connects to what we're going to talk about today. So look back at verse 2 of Philippians 3. And he says this, he uses very strong language. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So what is he talking about here? The whole point is, without, without re-preaching the sermon, you can go back and listen to it if you were gone last week. I encourage you to do that. The whole point here when he talks about dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh is there's a false teaching swirling around that basically says this, that you can be saved by your works. By trusting in your works. And in this case, it was circumcision. And that's a whole other sermon for another day. But for our application, basically the mindset is this, is you can be saved by your good works. Okay? Salvation through looking at external things and not the internal trusting and treasuring of what Jesus has done. His works. Okay? Now this is a really, really big deal. These dogs, evildoers, false teachers, they're preaching an anti-gospel. And Paul wants to drive that home. He's saying, gospel is this. It's trusting in Jesus, what he has done for you. Anti-gospel is trusting yourself to save yourself through good works. Okay? I didn't want to time out right here because I totally forgot something. Can we hang here for one second? Uh, There's one other announcement that I totally forgot that's really important. Uh, We have a new system for asking questions, okay? So we've been asking questions uh, at the end of the sermon, and I would not normally interrupt my sermon, but this is important. Uh, Take out your phone if you can and scan the QR code. I think it works from where you're at. And then you can save this. Bookmark this page on your phone or however you do that. And so this is a link to where we're going to ask questions for the end of the sermon in the future, okay? And so that's going to go directly to me on Slack. The link is also on the important channel on Slack. Jackie posted that a few days ago. Um, But we want you to have this link, all right? And there's going to be time for a few questions at the end of the sermon, all right? Everybody good? All right, back to Philippians 3. Here we go. Gospel, anti-gospel, okay? The dogs, evildoers, trust in your works, to save you, Paul says that's anti-gospel, and he's preaching, last week we saw, the true gospel, okay? And what he does, though, to illustrate this is very dramatic. And in verse 4, he does something very dramatic. He starts by basically just rattling off his Christian, or in this sense, Jewish, but in our modern context, it might be thought of as Christian resume, your spiritual um, godliness resume, okay? 
And let your eyes just kind of glance over verse 4, saying, if anyone has confidence in the flesh, meaning anyone has confidence in their good works, external things, he's like, it's me. And he basically rattles off his spiritual resume. And basically, in a modern context, context it would be like this. I come from a long family of pastors and elders and missionaries and, and, and evangelists. I got straight A's in seminary, right? I know my Bible backwards and forwards. I got tons of it memorized. And what does he say? He says, ultimately, that doesn't amount to anything that's worthwhile compared to trusting in Jesus and his spiritual resume. Mine doesn't earn me anything. You can have it. Chuck it. Right? That's what he says last week. And he says, the most important thing is that I'm trusting in Jesus and his spiritual resume. Look at verse 8 where he says, very dramatic language, indeed I count everything as loss. You can have my whole spiritual resume. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Rubbish, very dramatic word there for human excrement. What do we do with excrement? Get rid of it. Throw it away. He's being really dramatic here to make a point. In order, at the end of verse 8, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, like the, like the false teachers were, were teaching. Like just follow the law, follow the rules, and you'll be good. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. That's not, that's not Christianity. But that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus. The righteousness, not from yourself, but from God that depends on faith. All right? So this here, guys, is Christianity 101. It's not my works. It's Jesus' works given to me as a gift so that I can be made right with God and have right standing before him. It's got everything to do with Jesus' resume given to you. It's like God erased uh, Jesus' name, puts your name on it, and says, here, Jesus' resume, your name's on it instead, and now you have it as a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't negotiate for it. You didn't manipulate it. Just a gift, right? So that's last week, okay? Gospel versus anti-gospel. Are we clear? It's good. So here's the main point last week. Trusting in your works will never save you. Trusting and treasuring Christ's works, his life, death, and resurrection to save you leads to eternal life. Let me say that again. Trusting in your works will never save you. Trusting and treasuring Christ's works, his life, death, and resurrection to save you leads to eternal life. Now here's where we turn the corner to our text for today, okay? That does not mean that works in the Christian life are unimportant. That does not mean that works in the Christian life are unimportant. They just have to have the right place and the right motivation. Okay? Let me say that again. Super important for us to hear this. It doesn't mean that works are not important in your Christian life. It just means that your works have to have the right place 
the right place and the right motivation. And that's what we're going to see in our text for today. So let me just tell you the main point for today, and I'll attempt to convince you of that as we go from the text. Here's the big idea for today. The free grace of God motivates and empowers your effort to grow in the Christian life. The free grace of God motivates and empowers your efforts to grow in the Christian life. Okay? So we've, we've underscored it. My works don't earn me anything. I'm trusting in Jesus' works, given to me as a gift, his death and his resurrection credited to my account. It's Christianity 101. It's how anybody gets saved. But where do we go from there? Here's the question. Does this free grace empower us to sin? Like, God likes to forgive. God likes to be seen as gracious. I like to sin. Well, why don't I just keep sinning so God can do what he likes to do and and forgive and to give grace? By no means. It's a gross misunderstanding, right? Does free grace empower us to sin and grow lazy in our relationship with God? Never. It empowers us to love him more because we're so thankful for what he has done. It empowers us to love him more, to continue in my relationship with him because we're so thankful for what he's done, right? We see stories of unearned grace like this all the time. And if you put yourself in, in a person's shoes, you can see how this would work. I, I saw an example like that this week. A story of just unearned, unmerited grace given to someone. And I don't remember where I saw it. But, um, there was a video that someone captured of a woman. It's in a major city, kind of in uh, like a downtown area. It might have been Chicago, New York City or something like that. And she's walking, and she has a a stroller with her baby in it. And she's confronted by some random guy. And he probably was on drugs or just not in his right mind of some sort. And he comes over, and he starts messing with her baby and trying to, like, take it out of the stroller. And so somebody else sees this going down, and evidently this guy had some type of training in self-defense or jiu-jitsu or some martial art or something. And he grabs this guy and he subdues him and just holds him down until the, the, the police can show up. And, you know, as the case is now, everybody has a video camera in their pocket. And in a case like this, it's really advantageous. And so it makes it to the internet. Now, now think about this. If you are that woman... Did you earn that guy's favor? Did you stop him and say, you know, I'll give you 50 bucks if you'll help me right now? Was there any negotiation, manipulation? No, not at all. It happened so fast. She simply received the actions of this man, his courage and grace, as a gift. She just simply received it. Now, how would that make you feel towards that person? 
Would it motivate disrespect? Would it motivate taking something like this for granted? Would it, would it motivate her to be prideful and think, what's this guy doing? I, I could have taken care of myself. Never. It motivated her to be thankful. It motivated her to be humble and gentle towards him. It motivated her to be loving towards him. So grace properly understood always enables right living, enables godly character. It leads to a desire to be thankful and and to love. See, when you know you have received saving grace, it empowers you to want to respond a certain way. To, to live in a certain way, right? And that's what Paul is showing us today in our text. Does free grace empower us to sin and grow lazy in our relationship with God? Never. The free grace of God motivates and empowers your effort to grow in the Christian life. Look with me at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Let's stop right there. Not that I have already obtained this. Well, what what is he talking about? What's the this here in the text? Well, to understand that, again, it's all connected. We have to go back and look at verse 10. Okay? So let's go back and look at verse 10. That I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. All right, so this is kind of some strange language for us in terms of how we talk in our modern English, but what he's basically saying here is this. I've been saved by Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own, received it as a gift, that's verse 9. And now he's saying, I want to continue to grow. I want to grow in knowing him. Look at verse 10. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. That hasn't totally happened yet, Paul's saying. I want to continue in that, knowing the power of the resurrection of Jesus, Holy Spirit, in my life. And he's saying he's not perfectly sharing in his sufferings. Look at verse 10. I'm not perfectly sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. Death to self. And and he certainly not felt the resurrection of his body from the dead. Look at verse 11. May attain the resurrection from the dead. That certainly hasn't happened yet because Paul hasn't died yet, right? So basically he's just describing the Christian life and how he's experiencing it, but not completely. He's still got a direction to head. He's still got something he wants to obtain. And that's what verse 12 means, okay? So that's, I want to make sure we understand where we're coming from with verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, this perfect experience of the Christian life. That's what he means. Or like he says there, or am already perfect. So that's the this in verse 12. But look at what he says right on the heels of this statement, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, not that I've already perfectly walking in the Christian life, or am already perfect, verse 12, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus 
has made me his own. And that's, that's powerful right there. That's huge. This verse can change your life if you'll let it today. Look, look at the logic of Paul's statement. Look at verse 12 again. Think about the logical connections. And it hinges on the word because. I press on, remember, remember what we just explained, press on in the Christian life, these things that, that aren't fully true of me yet, in my relationship with God, I want to keep going in that. I'm going to press on in that. Why? Because. Because. I press on in the effort to grow in my walk with God because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Like he's saying, I know who I am in Christ. It's a done deal. No one can take it away from me. Christ Jesus has made me his I know who I am. Identity, settled, done deal. When somebody asks you who you are, Paul says, I am Christ Jesus. Identity, secure. I know who I am. He died for me. He rose from the dead for me. It's all of grace. My righteousness is found in him, not in my own self. It's all grace to be received as a gift. So in light of that finished work in history that Jesus did to make me his own, what happens? Verse 12, I press on. That's work, right? That's effort. But see how grace informs effort? Isn't that beautiful? The free grace of God motivates and empowers your efforts to grow in the Christian life. That's our main point. So when you see this and understand it, it makes the whole rest of our text this morning make sense. Let, let's read it to get, let's read it, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Meaning my, my walk in the Christian life is not fully perfect yet. But one thing I do, in light of Christ Jesus making me his own, remember that, that's in light. One thing I do do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So what's he saying here? He's saying the free grace of God empowers your efforts to grow in the Christian life. So do you see the language of effort here? Look at it in 13. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward. There's effort. It's a, sometimes it's a strain. And I press on. He, he says that again in verse 14. He says it in verse 12. He says it in verse 14. I'm going to press on toward the goal. And verse 16, I'm going to hold true. But all this is in light of verse 12. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own, I can strain. 
and I can press on, and I can hold fast, I can hold true. I know who I am, Paul says, and I know whose I am. You with me? Empowers your growth in the Christian life. So, so make no mistake, it's effort. It's strain sometimes, right? Feels like, man, we're just pressing on. Like I'm climbing this mountain and I'm tired. But I know that Jesus is with me. He's made me his own. And he's gonna keep walking and I'm walking with him. He's not gonna let me go back down. Right? So like, like real straight, straight talk now. So I remember like being in college and in our college ministry event, um, every Thursday night, we would always have a testimony. And sometimes that was like painfully awkward um, as college kids get up and grab the mic and sometimes don't want to relinquish it. Um, sometimes it was beautiful. But one of the things that was a frequent theme in testimonies of college kids when I was in college was um, sharing how we be- became a Christian. Someone becomes a Christian and just talking about how immediately my life was instantly better. Now, to be charitable and to be, and to be clear, there are a lot of ways that when you become a Christian, your life does get better. But if that means that we never have to endure hard things, if we never have to strain and, and press on in the midst of suffering— you don't understand Christianity. I mean, think about the first disciples. Did their lives get better? Well, yes, in the sense that they knew that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But no, in the sense that if you're chasing worldly things and that's your definition of life getting better, your life doesn't get better. Those dudes were martyred in horribly painful, horrific ways. Right? So long-term, better, eternity, yes, absolutely. But not always in the short term, sometimes in the short term, but not always in the short term. God does not promise that our lives are going to be pain-free. What did Jesus say? In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So in light of that, sometimes we do what Paul's writing about here, right? It's a strain to, to, to stay faithful. It's work. It's effort, right? It's like pressing on in a marathon, struggling to hold true, like he says in verse 16. Man, I, f- I felt this recently. As I've gotten older, you know, when you're in high school or college, you know, you think that everybody who's your friend who's a Christian is always going to be a Christian. And now at 45, almost 46, tragically, that hasn't been the case. People that I know and love have rejected their faith. That will mess with your head, right? That will mess with your head. Like if they're rejecting their faith, and I never thought that was possible why do I believe what I believe again? Like this is a person that I love and trust and they're, they're saying Jesus is not worth it and that can mess with you. And that's where it's like, okay, Christ, Jesus, have you taken hold of me? How do I know that's true? But that takes work. 
It takes some effort, striving, straining, pressing on in the midst of the confusion. How could this happen? Sometimes suffering does this to us, right? We're like, God, how could this happen? It's hard for me to believe in you in light of what this thing that's happening in my life. We read the book of Psalms. There's, there's, a, there's a straining, a fighting to press on that you see in the Psalms. But look at what Paul says. I want to remind us of it again. I want to keep us going back here to verse 12. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, this, this perfection in my walk with the Lord, but it's, the, it's not perfection, it's direction, right? So he's saying, I'm going to press on in the right direction to make it my own, verse 12. Why? Because there's a foundation here on which I stand. Uh, there's a foundation on which my pressing on can stand. The foundation is Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's the grace of God where Jesus has taken hold of me, made me his own, not because we earned it, but because we didn't earn it and just received this free grace, that motivates me, empowers my effort to grow in the Christian life. It's, it's kind of like this. A lot of us come from households, parents, that have inflicted a lot of suffering on you. We just come from messed up families, right? Tragically, that's the case for a lot of us. Thankfully, it's not the case for all of us. Some of us come from really, really good families, right? And, and if that's you, and it's all relative, right? But a lot of us, by and large, come from really good families. Parents loved us, cared for us, showed up to, our, to the play or to the athletic events or the speech, the, the debate team or whatever. They were really faithful to love you, do their best. Now, if this is you and your parents have been really good to you over the span of your life when you lived in their house, here's the question. Did you earn that? Did you merit that? Did you somehow mysteriously negotiate with your mom from the womb? You didn't, right? You did not. No, you didn't do anything. You didn't even ask to be born. It just was. Here you are, right? And it's a gift that you didn't earn to be born into a family with great parents. You had nothing to do with that. Zero. Just grace. Now imagine this, 50 years later, 60, 70 years later, your parents' health is starting to decline. And it's tough. Aging parents is, is not easy. I, I dealt with that with my own father, passed away at 67 from cancer. Now, if, you're, if your parents are declining in health in serious ways, and you're called to serve them and help them out in this way, what motivates that? Is it, man, I don't know if my parents love me. I don't know, I don't know if the love for me is secure, so I better get to work and, and prove that, that I love them, prove that I can, I can care for them so that I can earn their love in this deep time of need. No, that's not how it works, Right? It's, 
man, I've just been a recipient of grace from my parents all these years. They've been so good to me these years. I didn't earn it. I was just born and they gave it to me because they set their love on me. In response to that gift, I'm going to work. I'm gonna press on through the strain and the struggle of aging parents to help them die with dignity. So I clean their house, I cook for them, I drive them to the doctor when they can't drive anymore. To use the language of the text, they have taken hold of me all these years. So now in light of that, I'm gonna press on and love them even when it's hard. See how grace empowers works? See how grace stirs up a response of love? See how knowing who you are, that the love of my parents has been set on me, there's nothing I could do to change that, so how can I not respond to, to, to press on and, and, help, and help them? And the love of the Father has been set on you. That's another way to say what Paul is saying here in verse 12. The love of the Father has come down on you and said, you are mine. You didn't earn it. I just chose you. And so if that's true, and it is, and you know that, that's how you're going to grow in the Christian life. That's how you're going to continue. Nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide, nothing to defend. I'm settled and secure in my identity. Christ has made me his own. In light of that, I keep going. I can keep going, right? The free grace of God motivates and empowers your effort to grow in the Christian life. So, when the Christian life gets hard, when discipleship gets challenging, and it always does, when suffering makes you want to quit, and just say, forget it. It's not worth it. Like, what, what's the verse we're going to memorize? We're going to memorize this. I mean, you tattoo this one on your arm. Christ Jesus has made me his own. You preach that to yourself every day. Christ Jesus has made me his own. In light of that, we press on to grow in the Christian life because grace has been our motivator. And we know who we are and we know whose we are. Amen? The free, the free grace of God motivates and empowers your effort to grow in the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth this morning. I know there's people in this room right now that need to hear it. I need to hear it. Would you empower us by your spirit to hear it? Lord Jesus, we need your help. We need your help, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.